Hello and welcome to the Learn English Football Podcast Champions League Final Special with your hosts Tim and Tom. Hi Tom, how are you? I'm great. How are you Tim? Very well, very well. An exciting week of football again. Uh, we're going to focus on the Champions League final between Real Madrid and Liverpool this week. Mm. Obviously the Madrid fans will be happy, the Liverpool fans not so happy. Uh, <laughs> yes. We're going to break it down and we're going to ask a few questions. We're going to focus on the uh, problems uh, surrounding getting into the stadium before the match, the delayed kickoff, mm. uh, the match itself, and then a couple of questions about uh, football in general, about mm. Real Madrid in general. So let's jump straight in, Tom. Let's get straight to it. Um, <clears throat> it was a bit of an embarrassing situation for uh, for UEFA, for the French organisation, uh, for football in general. Uh, mm -hmm. That the the showpiece final of European football. Uh, when I say showpiece, I mean the most prestigious uh, mm -hmm. final we have. Mm -hmm. It was delayed by thirty seven minutes. Mm -hmm. um, some of the images on the on the television screen that were being shown all around the world, fans trying to climb into the stadium, police pepper spraying supporters who really didn't look like they were doing anything apart from waiting to get into the stadium. Um, there were reports of local thugs mugging fans, uh, groping women. And when I say groping, I mean touching. Um, mm -hmm. So it wasn't a pretty situation. Um, we're going to ask whose fault was it? Was it one particular party's fault or was it a combination of factors? Was it the fact that Paris has only had three months to prepare for this final? Uh, because, of course, it was taken away from St. Petersburg uh, for non-footballing reasons. Um, so do you have any strong opinions, Tom, on whose fault this trouble was? Uh, yes, I would put the majority of the blame, uh, the fault, by the blame I mean the fault, at the hands of the organisers. In this case it would be UEFA and it would be the French authorities, be that the police or whatever body or organisation is in charge of organising football events, in particular the security, the management of the security of the event. Uh, I do appreciate the point you made that the final was switched with three months three months ago but three months is 90 days uh it, it's it should be enough time and they should already have enough experience of managing large events at the national football stadium to be able to organize this one successfully so they get the majority of the blame for me yeah i mean they had enough time to organize um a, a very choreographed opening song they had mm. enough time to organize uh tens of thousands of UEFA officials to get to the stadium with no problem. So I think, yes, they did have enough time to organise this better. And as you say, this isn't a rare event for uh, the Stade de France. The Stade uh, de France is yeah. used to holding events this size. I'd like to pinpoint, I mean, articulate exactly where the problem lay. Uh, I understand that the problem was more with the Liverpool fans coming in on their side of the stadium than the Real Madrid fans. I heard anecdotally that uh, when fans did get into the stadium, they saw that the Real Madrid end was nearly full, while the Liverpool end was still very, very empty as the kickoff time was approaching. Uh, it's clear that the fans were put through these underpasses, these particular channels to walk from the station, they were bottlenecked. The neck of a bottle is where it gets narrow from the bottom of the bottle, which is wider. And they had security checks. And these security checks appear to be very poorly staffed. By staffed, I mean uh, there were not enough employees there to check all the tickets of the fans coming through. 
So I think this was the main problem because there was story after story of Liverpool fans who are actually, many of them, very, very experienced travellers in Europe. Often they go to the stadium the day before to check out the route, check out the stadium, to be 100% sure they know what they're doing. Uh, and many of the fans did that. They arrived sometimes three or four hours before the kickoff and found themselves waiting in these bottlenecks to pass through security checks. Yeah, I think that was definitely part of the problem. I also think part of the problem was uh, this idea of fake tickets and uh, and the scanning machines, because I heard uh, the Liverpool left-back Robertson, uh, he gave tickets that were official tickets that he got through the club to some of his mm -hmm. friends, uh, when they tried to scan them, they were told that they were mm -hmm. fake tickets. Now, I don't think there are any more official tickets in the world than the tickets you get off a player who's got them through the club. So there was definitely a problem with the scanning. I don't buy that story. I know that was the official narrative that first came out, but I think that has been debunked by people like Robertson saying they are turning away fans with legitimate tickets. I think that the real issue was, again, the staffing. I understand that they were still recruiting stewards to man these turnstiles. The turnstiles are the areas you walk through, you scan your ticket and you go through. They were recruiting them one week before the game from Facebook. That shows you the quality of the steward they were getting. They were not recruiting professionals. And as a result, I understand that many of the stewards came from the neighbourhood of Saint-Denis and had connections with some of the local people who were coming through and consequently were able to get through the turnstiles because they knew the stewards working on them and get into the stadium even though they didn't have tickets. I understand many of the fans complained that there were young local people who were standing in the walkways, the gangways, who didn't have seats but had somehow miraculously got into the stadium. Yeah, I think, I mean, going looking back to Wembley last summer and the problems there, I think when you pay people minimum wage mm. or as little as possible uh, and then ask them to make difficult decisions, to communicate difficult messages to people who are potentially full of alcohol, potentially could seem aggressive, whether they are aggressive or not is a different question, mm -hmm. um, then I, I can imagine the, the desire to make difficult decisions or to have a difficult conversation isn't huge, mm -hmm. especially if you've only been recruited a week before, you've obviously mm -hmm. had limited or no training. Um, That's right. From, from the point of view of these stewards, I can sympathise. If I'm from the San Denis neighbourhood and I see some of the the big guys from my neighbourhood coming up and demanding to get in, probably I would let them in as well. Uh, the issue here is a recruitment issue. They didn't uh, recruit quality, experienced, professional stewards to supervise these game, this yeah. game. And another issue is uh, regarding police, not stewards, but actual police uh, going to the pepper spray. Um, and I think we do have a bit of an issue with policing in European football because fans do drink, they do behave in a certain way, which maybe isn't a peaceful way, but this happens every game, and this happens at every game in England, and we don't have these mm -hmm. kind of problems. And and I and I, you look across Europe, and I've had, for example, as a travelling supporter, fantastic experiences in Italy, where the police are very good, in England, where the police are very good, mm -hmm. but I've also had bad experiences in, in Spain, in the Camp Nou, for example, um, and and also people have said that this kind of problem happens uh, uh, quite a lot in France, and in fact that same weekend there was a mm. French league match with between Auxerre and Nice, mm -hmm. uh, where, the, where the police were very heavy-handed, mm. and, and, and by that I mean 
quick to, to be violent and to be very mm. violent. And I think the problem's attitude. I think if the police are right in if if when there's a small problem, they punish that problem. They're right in terms of the law, but they're not right in terms of controlling a big group of potentially problematic people. And mm. I think this is what the English and the Italian police do very well. They tolerate a certain amount of of stupidity, a certain amount of behaviour that you wouldn't tolerate on a normal day. But by doing that, they win the respect of the supporters and they also create a very clear line between something which is a little bit bad but kind of acceptable and totally unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And when you don't give this little bit of tolerance, essentially what you're saying to all these supporters is, I'm against you. You're creating an us-against-them mentality, and football fans don't need to be given that excuse. Do you see mm. what I mean? I see what you mean, and in, in fact, this is an issue we've dis discussed before. In uh, December of last year, we did an episode on French hooliganism, and we reached the conclusion that the French police really don't know how to manage this situation. That became more apparent. Uh, many reports from Liverpool fans on the way to the stadium and coming back from the stadium was that even though they felt in danger, they could see gangs of people who were mugging, attacking, using violence to steal from the fans, they couldn't go up to the police. They couldn't ask the police for help. The police were standing there and doing nothing, which sounds like a terrible accusation because it, it sounds like the police are not doing the one job they're paid to do to protect the general public. But Liverpool fans, on the way to and from the stadium were saying they were more afraid of the police than they were of the, the local people. Yeah, I, I can definitely imagine that's the case. And let's not forget, Liverpool do have a history. Uh, it's kind of ingrained in their identity as a club, the the, the, the Heysel and the, the Hillsborough disasters. And mm. Liverpool fans, as a group, are generally quite self-conscious. They know mm. their history. They know what kind of things can cause problems. Mm -hmm. And they're quite good at self-policing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would be very surprised if if the heart of the problem was the Liverpool fans. Of course, mm -hmm. that's not to say that there weren't the, the occasional person drunk or doing stupid things mm -hmm. or trying to climb in. But that that's not enough to, to criticise a whole group of fans. And mm -hmm. let's not forget that the French minister, the interior minister came out the day after the match and blamed the Liverpool fans. She said that there were over 40,000 fake tickets. Uh, that's a, a statistic which is based on absolutely zero evidence. The only evidence that I've found in my extensive research uh, is uh, 2,400 uh, fake mm -hmm. tickets. There's a big difference between 2,400 mm -hmm. and 40,000. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm tempted to, to believe that the truth lies mm -hmm. uh, closer to the lower number. Um, I, I have to just say, I, this kind of comment from the French minister makes me furious, not only as a football fan, but as a human being, because I've listened to and read report after report from Liverpool fans. Uh, and we're not talking about your working class hooligans from, your eight, from the 80s. We're talking friends and families of the players. We're talking about journalists. We're talking about the mayor of Liverpool, who himself was assaulted, was robbed, was tear-gassed. So we're talking about some very important people. Some upstanding individuals. Upstanding, meaning from Honorable. the higher end of yeah. society, the more respectable end of society, who witnessed this abuse and have left that experience traumatised. One common, common comment I heard was, 
when we arrived at the stadium and got into the the match maybe just at half time we couldn't enjoy the game we were too traumatized by what we'd already experienced and we were too anxious about how in the hell we were going to get back to the station safely yeah uh, i don't think it was a pleasurable experience uh, pre-match during the match or post-match for liverpool fans uh, mm. unfortunately or real madrid fans as well i think many real madrid fans there were reports of them being attacked by by uh, people as well from from the local community so it it sounded like it was chaos anarchy out of control and when the when the, the French politicians come out and immediately try to uh, cover their backs or cover their bottoms uh, cover their asses cover their asses uh, to me this uh, it really bothers me on a personal level because it's very anti-human I, I understand that the French police have flown over to Liverpool now and over the next few days they will be receiving thousands of uh, they say in Spain denuncios or reports from Liverpool fans who will be reporting their being attacked, assaulted and robbed. Yeah, and I think one thing you said was crucial earlier. It's not just um, the odd fan, the occasional fan saying it, and it's not just um, like drunken people saying it. It's all aspects of society. And more than that, there's video, there's video evidence. There's video mm -hmm. evidence of fans standing there waiting to get in, scanning their tickets, and then suddenly a police a policeman comes over and fires tear gas at them, mm -hmm. and, and there's nothing apparently going wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yes, I mean, the evidence is damning. Um, the repercussions I, I, will continue. What do I mean by repercussions? The, the negative consequences. But um, Yes, this story is a long way from being over. But is it, though? Because, you know, I think... Uh, if you shout loudly and shout first, as the French politicians have done, mm. um, and the close relationship between France as a country and UEFA as an organisation, um, I think English fans are an easy, an easy target. They're mm. easy to blame um, for people who are less interested in really knowing the real mm. story. Um, mm. Then I think maybe the Liverpool fans will come out of it being criticised wrongly. Okay, let me uh, be more specific. I, I take your point. In terms of the, the media whitewash, we can expect that the news will change. Uh, the new headlines will be different. The world will move on. But the kinds of Liverpool fans who will be complaining and making reports to the police and making sure their voice will be heard, these are very some very powerful Liverpool fans, as, I, as, I, as I've mentioned. Friends and families of the club players, uh, the mayor of Liverpool, journalists... I think there could be some repercussions, some, some negative consequences, and we might find that someone has to be held accountable. Do you think this could affect um, France's ability to try and host major matches in the future? I believe they've got the uh, Olympic Games coming up in 2024 have, yes. at the same stadium. I think uh, there will be a lot of fear and caution uh, not only from the, the visiting spectators, but also from the authorities who are running the, t uh, the Olympic Games tournament. I expect lessons will be learnt and they can expect a, a safer experience. But uh, the question is, how safe can it ever really be in that particular suburb of, uh, of Paris? 
Yes. Um, apparently, behind the scenes, uh, Emmanuel Macron is absolutely fuming. And when I say that, I mean <laughs> very, very, very angry. He says that uh, the way it was organised and the way it went was uh, simply un-French. So um, <laughs> I think uh, there is a will, maybe not a, 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 on, on display, but there is a will behind the scenes to improve. And I think that's good for football. Mm -hmm. um, so, Tom, let's, let's move on and let's talk about the match. Um, it was a good match. It was. Uh, it kind of went in the way that many people expected, and mm -hmm. and I think that benefited Real Madrid. Mm -hmm. uh, Real Madrid knew Liverpool would attack. They knew they would have lots of the ball. Uh, they were willing to sit deep and absorb pressure and 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 trust their defensive solidity and trust their their wonderful goalkeeper. Um, the first half, Liverpool played particularly well. Mm -hmm. uh, they dominated the ball. Um, can't really think of Real Madrid having much of a chance until uh, Benzema put the ball in the back of the net and mm -hmm. the, certainly the pub where I was watching everyone thought it was a goal mm -hmm. um, it got reviewed by VAR and mm -hmm. then it was uh, after a long wait uh, it was um, the goal was cancelled um, for offside for offside mm -hmm. now I personally don't think it should have been given offside. So let's describe the situation. Valverde, uh, the ball was coming towards Valverde in the box. Mm -hmm. Two Liverpool players were, were pressurising uh, him and the ball. He tried to knock the ball to the left. Uh, the ball bounced off both Liverpool players and went in totally the opposite direction, fell to uh, Benzema, mm -hmm. and he put the ball into the back of the net. And the goal was judged offside because it was considered a pass from Valverde. Now, mm -hmm. I can understand that if you consider Valverde initiating the movement of the ball, then fine, give it as offside. But I think back to a goal from Mbappe scored against mm -hmm. Spain uh, this very season where I can't remember who in the French midfield played a pass. Uh, it was going to Mbappe. The mm -hmm. defender got a slight touch mm -hmm. um, and the goal was given as a goal. Even mm -hmm. though Mbappe was in an offside position when the pass was made and the justification was the defender got a touch and therefore mm -hmm. it's a new phase of play. Mm -hmm. um, now, I don't mind which way football goes on this, mm -hmm. but what I do mind is inconsistency. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the crucial thing with VAR. Mm -hmm. We're in a position now where we can analyse the game enough to create consistency in decision making. And... If one of them is a goal, the other one should be a goal. Or if mm -hmm. one of them is not a goal, the other one shouldn't be a goal. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say, my hand on heart, I would say my instinctive reaction was it should be a goal because he wasn't trying to pass to Benzema. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I think it was an offside. <laughs> uh, there, I, I think actually you make a very, very good point. Uh, if Valverde's pass was intended to, the, to his left and it got deflected off two Liverpool players and went to the right, then there is an argument that the Liverpool players, by touching the ball, were playing Benthema on side. However, there is also an argument that Benthema, even though the pass was not intended for him, was potentially going to interfere with play because he was in a dangerous part of the, fi part of the field. And I think that... The moment that Valverde tried to nudge the ball forward, uh, the referee and linesman can make a call at that moment, before even the Liverpool players deflect the ball. Is Benthema offside and potentially interfering with play? I think you would have to argue that yes, he was, because he was obviously in a very dangerous position, close to the goal, 
between the ball and Valverde and the goal. So I think uh, it all happened so fast. I was satisfied with the offside decision. Okay, I uh, I have a feeling that there was pressure in the VAR office <laughs> to uh, not allow a controversial goal in a showpiece final. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it was disallowed for that reason. I mm -hmm. think they wanted the goal to be a pure goal, mm -hmm. not a goal. I mean, imagine if it had finished 1-0 to yeah. Real Madrid and the goal had been this Benzema goal. Mm -hmm. Then the VAR would be the talking point. This Now, this argument I can sympathise with. I want to give you an ex another argument to demonstrate why. Uh, the, pre the referees, I think, are under pressure not to have a controversial VAR goal and not to have a red card moment that could kill and ruin the game. What, you mean like uh, Jens Lehmann in the Champions League final that Arsenal got to? Uh, I'm not thinking of that one. I'm thinking of this season where Aaron Cresswell got two red cards in West Ham's run to the semi-final of the Europa League, rightly given, but in the final uh, there was a, a... I think it was uh, the Roma game against... Feyenoord in the second half the Feyenoord defender pulled back Tammy Abraham and Tammy Abraham didn't go down and it should have been referred to VAR and VAR should have given a red card but at that moment the only way I can explain why it didn't happen was that the referee or the, the team the VAR team were under pressure not to let a red card ruin the final because it would have killed the game in that moment yeah I, and I do think there are lots of pressures on referees on the pitch off the pitch mm -hmm. um, so yeah I mean it is a very difficult job um, so moving on to the second half um, that goal that was disallowed I think took the wind out of Liverpool's sails and what I mean mm. is it killed their momentum it killed their energy although they still dominated a lot of the ball they had less I would say in terms of uh, creative edge mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and then the uh, the Vinicius goal Mm. It was a, it was a wonderful goal, and I know in England we love to say that Trent Alexander Arnold is the complete modern uh, wing back, mm -hmm. and he's the best thing since sliced bread, mm -hmm. which is a nice expression to mean the best thing ever. Um, but he does have this defensive weakness. There's a reason why he doesn't get in the England team over Kyle Walker, mm -hmm. and that defensive weakness was uh, was obvious. I mean. It, it was obvious in previous games we saw Ivan Perisic exploit it for Inter Milan in the, the previous round. So we know it's the weakness. It's the probably the one weakness in that Liverpool defence. And yes, Vinicius got in behind him, had a clear run to the back post. Yeah, and it's not one of those ones where he outpaced him. It was it was uh, Alexander Arnold was just wasn't aware enough of what mm -hmm. was happening behind him, yeah. um, and and he got caught out. And you know, for all the beautiful passing he has, for the wonderful crosses and the technical play, he is a right back. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, if you know that your opposition has a weak right back or a weak right back defensively, then you're going to focus your attack down mm -hmm. there. And especially when you know Madrid's best player on the break is Vinicius Junior. Um, I think over 90 minutes they were always going to get an opportunity mm -hmm. similar similar to that and mm -hmm. Real Madrid we know this season they don't need many opportunities to mm -hmm. score a goal they trusted their ability to exploit the moments they had and, and that's exactly mm -hmm. what happened I can agree with you uh, about the finish it was a wonderful finish by Vinicius but for me it wasn't a wonderful goal because uh, Fede Valverde was shooting I'm sure the way he lined up to strike the ball to hit it with the laces I think it was a wayward shot that was going wide 
so I can't call it a wonderful goal because I don't think it was an intentional cross. I think it was a poor shot. Not a terribly off-target shot, but it was an off-tar but it was off-target. So that's my feeling about the goal. But this in a way sums up this Real Madrid side. They need a little bit of luck and they got the luck. They got it through uh well Thibaut, Thibaut Courtois with some fantastic saves and I felt a commentator described it very very well when he said it's a bit like a boxing match where you have uh, one fighter who's on the front foot and jabbing away this was Liverpool and then the other fighter who's just waiting for the big counter-attack a big roundhouse swing and this was Real Madrid and Real Madrid actually uh, were more dangerous with the kinds of chances they only created two or three really clear chances but each time you felt they were really really dangerous Liverpool players had good chances uh, Mane had a great chance in the first half played well he faded in the second half Salah came alive a bit more in the second half but Courtois matched him he, he was perfectly positioned to make those saves uh, when I watch the finals I'm often looking at individual battles and, and it was the same in all the European finals I watched. The team that has more players who are winning their individual matches, usually uh, their individual battles with their opposing number. Uh, so for example uh, it might be Luis Diaz against Carvajal and Carvajal had a fantastic game, yes. And when you uh, have uh, but some Liverpool players were winning their battles as well. Comate was winning his. Uh, Thiago Alcantara in the first half for, for most of the game was winning his battles. But on the whole, Real Madrid just had enough players to have the edge over Liverpool, I think, with a lot of defending. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think Courtois uh, had an absolutely fantastic game. I think he's developed since uh, in the last couple of seasons since we saw him in England. Um, I think a lot of keepers can make those individual saves, but mm -hmm. I think very few keepers are making all three of those world-class mm -hmm. saves. The one from Mane and the two from Salah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that bit of skill when Salah got the shot off on his right foot from about from the, the wide right position, mm -hmm. I think we've seen that go in in the Premier League this season 30 mm -hmm. times. Um, and I think it was a really good reaction save. Um, and essentially Madrid played well they denied Liverpool the space that Liverpool mm -hmm. thrive on mm -hmm. um, that space in behind and uh, Liverpool lacked a central threat and that brings me on to my point to Luis Diaz is a great 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 player but he's upset the balance an attack is a balance and I think Firmino is um, is is the is a great player at creating space, at creating, at dragging defenders mm. out of position, which allows Salah and Mane to play better. Mm. I don't think it's any coincidence that Salah has scored fewer goals since January than uh, since Luis Diaz came in uh, than he scored mm. before January when Firmino was the main starter, mm -hmm. uh, or even Diego Jota because he drops deep as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think forcing uh, Mane to play as the central striker. Liverpool lose something of, of their of their ability to move defenders out of position. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think maybe Jurgen Klopp, when he reflects on the final, he might think that uh, Roberto Firmino actually should have played. I know he's mm -hmm. not the, the fashionable player like Luis Diaz is, but I think he's an integral part of how they attack. Yes. 
the Liverpool subs who came on, Diego Jota and for Roberto Firmino, they started well for the first couple of minutes, but then you felt they were just trying a little bit too hard. It was a bit uh, desperate by then, wasn't in it? In comparison, Ancelotti was able to bring on his usual defensive strengthening subs like Canavinga, and you could see that the substitutions helped Real Madrid we say close their hands around the trophy whereas the Liverpool players as the game wore on they felt less likely to score I believe there was one great chance near the end of the game for Salah maybe about 85 even 89 minutes uh, but after that into extra time you felt like Real Madrid had it they had the they the trophy was won it was theirs I think a lot of this is in the mind uh, when Real Madrid scored their goal I think a lot of people didn't see any other mm-hmm. any other result apart from a Madrid victory, um, and I think Real Madrid went into the game very relaxed, uh, whereas Liverpool were feeling the pressure. They were feeling the pressure of having not won the Premier League on the final day. They mm. were feeling the pressure of the revenge that all the people mm. were talking about for the final a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's a healthy mentality to enter a game in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and Real Madrid, on the other hand, were totally uh, tranquil. Yes, they'd um, already won the league comfortably, and added to that, they had three miracles under their belt. PSG, Chelsea, Manchester City, they eliminated all those teams from a losing position, uh, sometimes incredible comebacks, particularly Manchester City, but PSG was a great comeback as well. So there was this sense that they felt it was their destiny. I, I mentioned after the semi-final, they put on their shirts, Katorthi, number 14. This can kind of strengthen, fortify the self-belief Fake that it the till club you make had. It. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I read in a report with uh, Modric saying that uh, Paris Saint-Germain was the, the most fun comeback. Uh, mm-hmm. City was the most difficult comeback. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they really believed in it. And that kind of brings us to our last question. Is this the best Real Madrid Champions League victory that you can remember? Uh, they've mm-hmm. won five in recent memory. Of mm-hmm. course, they won uh, with Zidane in the Galactico mm-hmm. generation. For me, this is the best Champions League victory because because of the teams they've eliminated, firstly. Uh, mm-hmm. Because of the the situations in those matches, uh, mm-hmm. having to come back to to find a way to win, mm-hmm. but also just in terms of the personnel, they're not they're not based around famous players in the mm-hmm. same way they were under Ronaldo when Ronaldo was there or Sergio Ramos. They seem a lot more uh, a lot more humble. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these players in their attitude towards the game, um, and and I I really like that. So I would go as far as to say this is the. F- this is the best Real Madrid Champions League victory that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And the first one that's actually tried really, really almost won my heart to a mm-hmm. certain extent. I would say it's the best run in, the best run uh, that they went on to the Champions League final and, and the victory. I wouldn't say it's the best team. Uh, I think this team on their day are beatable. They've got some old players. I felt last year the team was actually looking a little bit old, a little bit like in need of renovation uh, when they lost to Chelsea. Uh, However, that was in the semi-final last year, they lost to Chelsea, and Chelsea seemed to overrun them to have more energy. However, they've kept the core of that team, they've strengthened it here and there in pieces, but I would say definitely this is the most memorable road to victory that I can remember for Real Madrid. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think you're right in, in terms of the players. I mean, for example, um, Militao, mm-hmm. I think, had a great final, but he's had problems over mm-hmm. the season. 
Um, Carbajal has had a great last few months, but he's had an injury-plagued season. He hasn't been at his best. But this is Real Madrid. I mean, often Real Madrid start playing in, in January mm-hmm. and, you know, everyone writes them off before January. And then in April, uh, in May, sorry, they're lifting the cups. This is typical Madrid. Um, so, guys, I think that's all we've got time for today on the Learn English mm-hmm. Football Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's, been, it's the end of a long, enjoyable football season. It is, yes. I think we might be back in a week or two. There's always stories happening, things going on. We certainly will be. We certainly Uh will be. Uh, Tom, how can our uh, listeners get involved if they want to leave a comment or leave a rating? Uh, They can do it on their listening platform. That could be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We're on all the main platforms. Just leave a little rating, leave a review. That's a great way to show support and help us grow. Otherwise, come and join us on Facebook, LeftPod is our Facebook page and we've also got an English Learners Who Love Football group uh, where we talk about football related English themes. Yeah, next time you see your best friend say do you speak football and if they don't (laughs) well get them to listen to the podcast that would be fantastic. Tom it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much and see you next time. Thank you Tim, bye bye.